Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boating. This week, join me in listening to an interview with Jessica Garrison, an acquired anosmic and author of the article, I Lost My Sense of Smell in My 20s. Here's my advice to COVID-19 survivors, which was published for BuzzFeed News on January 17th, 2021. Jessica lives in Northern California and is a reporter for BuzzFeed News. She lost her sense of smell almost 20 years ago, and she thinks she lost it due to having nasal surgery to remove polyps, but isn't 100% sure. In her article, she shares her advice about living with long-term anosmia with those who have lost their sense of smell recently due to COVID-19. We talk about how there were very few resources available to her at the time that she became anosmic and not much awareness of the condition. So at that time, she just decided to move on and live her life with no sense of smell. We also discuss how smell disorders are taken less seriously than other conditions and why that might be the case. Our interview was recorded in February 2021. Let's listen to the interview. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the Smell Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. Awesome. Can you please start off by telling us a little bit more about yourself? Um, sure. My name's Jessica. Um, I live in Northern California, and I am a reporter for BuzzFeed News. That's awesome. That's actually how I came across you online. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. But to start off, can you tell us a little bit more about your smell disorder story? I lost my sense of smell, I don't know, maybe almost 20 years ago. Um, and, it, you know, it's pretty rare. So it's not something, it was just sort of a part of my life. And then, you know, with COVID-19, suddenly lots of people have lost their sense of smell. Um, some temporarily, some maybe you know, for a more extended period of time. And suddenly this thing that had been like a private part of me that didn't ever really come up very often, people were talking about it everywhere. And so I was just like, well, maybe I'll write something about, you know, here are my experiences um, having lost my sense of smell. And, you know, maybe that will be useful to some other people. So that's why I decided to write about it. I enjoyed reading your article, and we'll talk about that. So you you did mention you work for BuzzFeed News, and the article you wrote was, I lost my sense of smell in my 20s. Here's my advice to COVID-19 survivors. So you mentioned um, maybe COVID-19 inspired you a little bit to write this story. Was there anything else behind it that you thought this was a great time to kind of go public and share that information? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think that, I mean, I don't think there was anything else behind it except suddenly sort of, you know, I mean, I think a lot of things about living in the world with no smell are just not that interesting to people who can smell, but suddenly there's a whole lot of other people that might find this sort of interesting. So I, it was really that. Great. And can you go into a little bit more detail? How did you become an acquired anosmic? Um, I mean, I, I don't exactly know. And this is one of the things I mentioned in the article that like, it is not something that many doctors are that interested in. Mm -hmm. I like to think if you walked into the doctor's office and said, I've suddenly gone blind, they'd be like, oh my goodness, let's get right on that. Um, but if you walk into the doctor's office and say, I've lost my sense of smell, often, at least in my experience, a lot of doctors are like, huh, that's weird. Okay. Um, but I, you know, I think I have, um, you know, polyps in my nose and I had surgery to have those polyps removed. And so, and then after I recovered from the surgery, I did not recover my sense of smell. So that's mm. how. 
So, yeah, I imagine for myself, I also have acquired anosmia from back in like late 2008, early 2009. And to me, it felt like there were no resources available at that time. So I guess my question to you is, what did you do when you realized that you didn't have your sense of smell? Did you have resources that you found that were useful to you? Or like, how did you handle that situation? I mean, and and this sounds crazy, but actually, like, you know, I talked to my doctor about it and I talked to another doctor about it and it was pretty clear that it didn't seem like it was a big priority for them. Um, And I, at that point, thought, well, huh, I didn't actually, I didn't do much. I mean, (laughs) I really just was like, well, I guess that's gone. Um, and I think in my mind, I always thought maybe it'll just come back on its own. Cause that's, mm-hmm. I, I think that people were like, you know, just give it time. And so I just went on with my life and it didn't come back. And then, uh, you know, by the time it sort of became clear that it, you know, then I think I talked to a couple doctors who were like, well, we could, you know, put you, you know, we could give you like huge heavy doses of the steroid prednisone, um, mm-hmm you know, just like insane, huge doses and see if that worked. And I had been on prednisone before because I also have asthma. And I thought that doesn't seem like a good idea. Like, I'm not sure that that, you know, that sort of seems like the treatment. I'm not sure I could, I'm not sure what would happen to me if I took a hundred milligrams of prednisone for a week. And, you know, then like, I just was very busy with my life. I had little, you know, not long after that, I had little kids and I was working and it just sort of seemed like the amount of effort and money that it would take to sort of really delve into finding specialists who could maybe treat this. And, and as I say this now, I'm like, that's crazy. It's a sense. Um, but there didn't seem like a quick, easy avenue to pursue the restoration of my sense of smell. And so mm-hmm. kind of just carried on without it. I don't think that's crazy. Actually, what you're saying resonates a lot with me because it's echoes similarly what I did for about nine years, which was not much either um, until I decided I moved and decided to start the podcast to kind of explore a little more in depth into having an osmia and what that meant and sharing listener stories. So, no, I don't think what you're explaining is, is odd at all. I think a lot of people who become an osmic kind of okay let's let's move on you know because there's not a lot you can do about it in some situations well I mean and I think it's I mean I think the thing I do sort of regret is like like you know my doctor like I remember once like telling my doctor this and he kind of reacted the way as if I was like telling him about like a bad parking problem outside his office like this is sort of peripherally related to me I guess but Mm. I'm not sure what you think I, you want me to do about it. And I kind of, you know, I do sort of think like, what would have happened if I had actually gotten a doctor that was like, okay, let's, let's do something. Right. Um, but I didn't. That's unfortunate. So, yeah. yeah. So back to your article in your story, one thing that you mentioned was that you missed the smell of your mother's rose perfume. And again, that really stuck out to me because one of the, my very favorite smells from before I became anosmic was my mom's perfume. It's a specific one called Summer Hill by Crabtree and Evelyn. And I have searched high and low and I don't think they find it, or excuse me, I don't think they make it anymore. Mm -hmm. But can you still smell that perfume in your mind? You know, can you still like bring it up for yourself or has it faded over time for you? It's pretty faded over time. I mean, for a long time I could, um, 
but I think, you know, I think, I think it's, yeah, no, I'm not sure I can. Right. Another thing that that brings up for me is the fact that the vocabulary that we have to describe smells is really limited. Mm -hmm. So typically if I was going to ask someone to describe what an orange smells like, Mm -hmm. they would (laughs) yeah it smells like citrus which is basically saying it smells like an orange (laughs) so yeah I'm just I was just curious about that another thing that you mentioned in your story is you talk about how people who have anosmia tend to be confronted by those who can smell Mm -hmm. with this demand that they want us to smell this or smell that (laughs) yeah they just people cannot wrap their heads around it yes they just don't believe you Yeah. And and then you pointed out something that was something that really, again, I keep saying resonated, but it did. Then we tend to apologize that we can't smell it. Right. So I guess you make this point of why are we apologizing? And I, I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit more with you. Why do you think like we feel the need to apologize for not being able to smell? Well, I mean, I think it has to do with how and why people talk about smell right? When someone asks you to smell something, it's because they want to share an experience with you. They want to share an experience of something smelling really beautiful, or they want to share an experience of something smelling really terrible. And by getting you to kind of acknowledge that smell, they're asking you to sort of say, yes, I, I, I'm with you in this world. I share this experience with you. And when you say you can't do it, it's sort of like telling the person like, I'm not with you. I don't feel the thing you're feeling. I don't see the thing you're feeling. And people, I think that's why people react in that way where they're like, yes, you can, you know, because they really want to like have that connection with you. And you have to be like, I'm sorry, I just can't do that right now with you Mm -hmm. or because I don't have that sense. So I kind of think that's why, that's why you're apologizing because you're apologizing because you kind of can't meet the person where they want you to be. Mm. That's an interesting perspective. It reminds me again of something that I've heard before, but it's when people ask someone who tells them that they cannot smell to basically try harder. Um, I guess it just always stands out to me that like we wouldn't do that to someone who couldn't hear or couldn't see. I mean, and in fact, but like, it's funny because it's funny that you mentioned hearing because I remember once someone was insisting that I smell something. It was like a flower. And I was like, I don't have a sense of smell. And they're like, yeah, just try harder. And I was like, really, I don't. And they're like, no, absolutely, you can smell this. And I looked at them and I was like, would you yell at a deaf person? Right. I thought was like the perfect comeback. And the person just stared at me like, of course not. I would never yell at a deaf person. Like, why are you asking me that? You know, like, let's try to, you know, I mean, people just cannot, they can't, I mean, that's the thing about smell, right? Like if someone can't hear or see, you can see how that affects them in the world. But if someone Mm -hmm. can't smell, it's just a really imperceptible thing about them that, and you only have their word for it. Like you can't, you can't cause and effect test out their experience on your own. And so some people tend just to not to believe it. Yeah. And it's always funny to me because it's like, why would I make that up about myself? Like there's so many more things that I could make up. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess the next question for you again, in your article, you talk a little bit more about how your children have helped you and they've basically become your designated food testers and they have a vested interest in making sure that the food smells good and tastes good. 
So how else has having anosmia impacted you as a parent? Do you have any examples? I mean, you know, my poor kids like had the worst diaper rashes when they were kids because um, <laughs> I, hope they don't, I hope they don't hear this. You know, I would, I would change their diaper as you do. And then I think, okay, we're good for a minute. Um, but babies don't always cooperate with that. Right. So like if I had changed a diaper and then like, it would never occur to me to check it five minutes later. Um, but sometimes that would be the wrong choice. So they did, you know, there were some sort of like (laughs) epic diaper rashes, um, which I still feel bad about. I mean, I think, you know, I sometimes think like, as my, I remember from my own teenage years, like my friends, um, this is maybe, I don't know. My, I had some friends who were some big drinkers in high school and they would always go to these like elaborate lengths to make sure that their parents didn't smell alcohol on them mm. before going home. And I remember thinking like, I'm not like my kids could come in here smelling like a wine bar and I would never know. <laughs> you know? Right. I just think there's all these little things that we use our sense of smell with that, like, you know, you, you don't even think about until you don't have it. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like cigarette smoke or other things that most parents would just realize right away. Those things are lost on people who have anosmia. Yeah, it's true. So since you did become anosmic such a long time ago, how do you think that experiencing smell loss has impacted your relationship with food and eating if at all since prior to having anosmia um that's such an interesting question um because I think definitely definitely I still really I mean I you I've read stories of people who like you know stop being able to enjoy food um and that really has not been my experience. Like I still love eating and I love nice cooking. I think that I used to be someone who really could not tolerate spicy food. Um, and now I can, which is actually kind of fun. Like I used to have these terrible fights with my husband, like who I guess that he wasn't my husband then he was my boyfriend, but he would order like really spicy stuff. Mm-hmm. And- be like oh I can't I cannot eat this and now I now I can still now I can eat you know so it's changed what I enjoy mm-hmm. but I still really love cooking um and eating and you know I think I sometimes wonder like I'd be like the most amazing chef in the world if I could smell and you know probably not like when I worked at the LA Times which I did before coming to BuzzFeed I once had this like brilliant idea and I was like the LA Times should pay for me to take cooking classes and then I can write about you know what it's like to cook really high-end food without a sense of smell and I remember like telling someone in section about that idea and they just looked at me and they're like why would we do that like (laughs) that's ridiculous I think that sounds awesome I'm on board with you I know but they were like that no one needs that story like no one needs that like what are you talking about and I was like Mm. I guess it's not I guess it doesn't come up that often um maybe today in today's environment you would get that story approved pitch it that's such a good idea I'm gonna do that you should. I would follow along. I, I'm fascinated to know. You're a genius. Okay. <laughs> I think about, it reminds me of like those commercials where they do like, they give you this like gourmet looking hamburger at, for to all these people and they like rave that it's so fantastic and amazing. And then you find out it's from a fast food chain. Right. 
and the people are like blown away. So I would be on board with something like that. You could prepare meals for people. They could be blown away and impressed by you. And then you could reveal that you have no sense of smell. <laughs> so this next question that I have for you is one that I ask all guests who come on who have a smell disorder. And there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just very curious to hear what people think. So the question itself is, do you self-identify as having a disability? Um, no. No, I don't. Um, yeah, it's never occurred to me to do that. It's interesting. Yeah, there's lots of varied answers. So, um, yeah, thank what you. Okay. What do most people say? Yeah. Um, it's all over the place. There's a lot of people who do not consider having anosmia to be a disability. Um, there's a lot of people who do think it is, and I am, I think, kind of in the middle. I, I do think that it, in the technical sense, would qualify since having a disability is defined as something that impairs your daily ability to function. Um, I think it's a loaded word and that a lot of people attach stigma to the word itself. Right. So I mean when you claim that you have a disability, um, it, it feels like people assume that you're asking for something. Right. I mean, technically, like, it is a sense. Like, yeah. I mean, it seems like it counts. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it depends on your job, too, right? Right. Like, if you were, like, if your job was, like, truffle hunting or professional chef or I mean I'm sure there's lots of other jobs that I'm not thinking of that I could also never get um then absolutely right mm -hmm. yeah it's just a it's a one of my favorite questions it's definitely I consider it definitely as an invisible disability for sure so Jessica is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners no I'm just sort of no this has been really fun thank you you're welcome. So how can listeners get connected with you on social media? Um, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at JV Garrison, um, which is probably, that's, that's my public social media, at JV Garrison. Perfect. I'll make sure that I include the link to that. And in addition, I'll include the link to the story that you wrote in the episode notes so that all the listeners can find that and get connected with you. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you to Jessica for coming on the podcast and sharing her story with us. If you'd like to read the article or check out her Twitter account, click on those links in the episode notes. The Smell and Taste Association of North America, or STANA, is the first patient organization focused on smell and taste disorders in the USA. To find out more, visit Stana's website online at www.thestana.org. We've raised enough initial funds to start the process of establishing as a 501c3 organization, so thank you to everyone who has donated so far. We are still raising funds to help pay for startup costs, so if you'd like to help, you will find the fundraising website online via GoFundMe. Link to donate will be in the episode notes. For any questions, or if you'd like to get involved, please visit the website or email us directly at info at Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you listen using iTunes. Reviews are helpful because they allow others to find the podcast. And if you'd like to financially support the show, you can do so by clicking on that link in the episode notes. I appreciate your support.
And as always, a huge thank you to everyone who currently contributes to the show, because your generosity is what makes this podcast continue to be possible. Until next time, stay safe and have a great day.